Well, let's talk about the deadly sin of anger. And I have to say, of all of the sins that we've talked about in this particular topical series, this is the one that probably affects us maybe the most. Maybe we see it more often, uh, unlike lust and and, um, gluttony, maybe uh, they're a little easier to keep secret. Harder to keep angry feelings down. Eventually, they tend to erupt. We'll talk a little bit about that tonight in this uh, fairly brief message. Um, Anger. I like this quote. Anger in its purest form presents with self-destructiveness, violence, and hate that may provoke feuds that can go on for centuries. Anger may persist long after the person who did another grievous wrong is dead. It takes 10 generations, this is a quote, another quote, it takes 10 generations for healing to become real. Given time, we will end the demand of an eye, an eye, and a tooth for a tooth, fearing that the whole world may wind up blind and toothless. (laughs) Gandhi said that. Um, Many different religious systems and philosophies have had their, uh, their take on anger, and none of them have come away with uh, a positive response. You know, we talked about with gluttony, the question that may come to mind is, do I really need all this, you know, on my plate, in my garage, on my shelves, you know, do I really need all this? Uh, and if the, if the question about um, uh, lust is, um, why do I want this? You know, what's the drive for this passion? Then maybe for anger, kind of two things come to mind because anger can have various sources. One that comes to mind is, what am I really wanting here that's causing me to be angry? What's been been threatened or been removed or taken away or that I've not received that I wanted and that has caused me anger? And another question I think is related is, what am I afraid of? What am I afraid of? Because f- things that cause us to be afraid can also drive us to become angry. Do you agree with that? Is that? Does that seem reasonable? Just thinking it through, as I look on the things that have made me angry, I, generally it's because something that I wanted, uh, maybe even something that I thought was good, was deprived or taken away or I didn't get it, uh, or I was afraid that something might happen bad, something uh, because of such and such circumstances, a response or whatever, it could lead to something disastrous in my mind. And so anger comes out to kind of protect what we hold dear, uh, what we cherish, whether it's our family, whether it's ideas and feelings and traditions and, and memories or whatever it is. It's something that threatens that can tend to bring about uh, anger. And, and that's all revolving around this idea of pride. We talked about pride being this first one on the list. You know, there's pride behind all of these. Um, especially anger. Um, But there is a way to be angry and not sin. We'll look at that in Ephesians chapter 4. Why don't we go ahead and turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. Yes, you can be angry and not sin. We know that the Lord himself was angry on several different occasions, and yet he remained without sin. All right, so how do you distinguish between maybe a sinful anger that we're not supposed to have, and maybe a, a maybe a, a righteous anger, a righteous indignation. 
All right, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And that's all we're going to look at that. Be angry and do not sin. Let's compare that with um, Psalm the reference written down here in a second. Psalm chapter four, Psalm four, and verse four. Let's take a comparison here. Just take a quick look. Um, probably a direct quote by the Apostle Paul. Uh, if you had those words in italics in your translation, uh, New King James would have those in italics. It's a, a, a reminder that those words are quotations. And that's important to recognize, by the way. I need to make comment on this. Uh, in, the, in the King James translation, if the words are in italics, uh, the general rule of thought is that those words are implied by the text. Those words are not actually there in the original Greek or Hebrew text. But in the New King James, they use italics in a different way. So these words are part of the text. They just mean something different. So you've got to be aware of how your translation is set up. But look at Psalm 4.4. Be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. All right, so there's a quote from uh, Psalm 4. It's compared also with Psalm 37. Let's go over to Psalm 37. We shared some thoughts about this uh, last time on envy. But Psalm 37 and verse 8, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. How's that verse end? It only causes harm. You know, that's pretty much the whole message. We might as well just go home now. We're done. <laughs> that's pretty much it. Uh, don't do that. Cease and stop because it only causes harm. If you think about your human life, your body, your, your vessel, your, your spirit, soul, all of you, mind, body, soul, strength, from what I understand what the Bible's teaching, you are not, and I'm not designed to hold anger in any more than a styrofoam cup is meant to hold gasoline, at least for very long. Uh, we're not designed to hold that. It's toxic. It will destroy us. But it can motivate us to energy. Anger does that, doesn't it? It often motivates people to do bad things with that energy. But if we could let the energy that anger arouses be put to solving the problem rather than just making more ruckus and causing more problems, we might be able to get a better handle on our anger. Case in point, the Lord Jesus goes to the temple. He sees Money changers, people selling sacrificial animals in the temple precincts themselves. Um, we, we believe that that took place probably in what's called the court of, um, uh, the, court of the women. Um, between the Gentiles and the court of the women, there was an area where people, the merchants, could cut through the house of the Lord on their way back and forth to selling their wares on the sides, uh, each side of the temple. And what we see here is this kind of a, maybe this parade of, uh, you know, today it would be um, maybe dollies pushing boxes and carts and, you know, people in their little badges and their hats. And they're, they're bringing all this merchandise, the UPS guys delivering, you know, they're going right through the center of worship, a place where the Gentiles have come to observe the true God uh, and a place in the court of the women, every Israelite could be there. Um, it was called the court of the women because that's as far as the women could go. Further on would be the men and then the priests. But imagine in the middle of a worship service, you have these merchants coming right through our service 
and setting up their tables and their your money being counted and they're maybe calling out what the prices are and the money exchange rates and it's all about the financial gain. And Christ was furious. He was really angry. But what did he do? Well, one thing that shows me he didn't lose control, as we can sometimes do, is he took the time to braid a whip. Have you ever braided a whip? I've never braided one, but they look pretty hard to make. I mean, I guess you can braid it like you braid hair, you know. Uh, I don't know how many strands. But then to carefully make that. Now, I don't believe he was using the whips on the people, but I imagine if they'd gotten in the way, they better watch out. It was primarily to get the livestock moving and to get them out of the way from their masters or whoever was selling them. And he drove them out and said, it's not my father's house been called a house of prayer for all nations, and you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, the model there for us in the driving out of the cleansing of the temple, as we sometimes call it, took place twice. On that cleansing of the temple, Christ was truly righteously indignant. He had the right to do what he did, by the way, because it was his house, his father's house, and he was the heir, so it was his house. Just as much as you'd have the right to drive bums out of your living room if you get home tonight and they're all camped in your living room with a 32-gallon barrel and they're, and they're keeping themselves warm, you know, with the heat. <laughs> uh, you have the right to drive them out. It's your home. You have the right to do this. So we in no way uh, find what Christ did inappropriate. This was his house. But he let the anger drive him to solve the problem. The problem was making merchandise in God's house, distracting from the worship, uh, maybe even fleecing people, no pun intended, and the price of the lambs that they were selling who couldn't, afford, who couldn't bring a lamb with them all the way to Israel but had to buy, uh, down to Jerusalem but had to purchase one there and making them pay a lot more. So anger can energize us to solve the problem. Or if we don't have that kind of focus, it will drive us to do something else. Generally, it's going to be bad. It's going to be something we're going to say that we're going to regret we're going to do that we wish we could take back. Um, could even result in our name being in the paper or maybe a sheriff showing up at our front door if we're not careful. Um, generally speaking, maybe I'll, I'll look and see if there's any head nods on this one. The most troubles that have happened to me have been because of things I have said, not because of necessarily things that I've done. How many would say, yeah, that's probably true? Our mouth tends to be the thing that gets us into most trouble. And I'm sure for most of us, it was only in those teenage years, not since then, right? Not since then, but only in those crazy, wild teenage years when we didn't have a good... <laughs> but isn't that true? And very often, may I suggest, maybe we said those things in a heated moment, in an angry moment, and as soon as they're out, oh, we wish we could take them back. That hurt. That was not, a, that was not fair. That was unkind. That was, shouldn't have been said. And by the way, that passage was in, uh, in John's gospel with the uh, cleansing of the temple. Um, look at Psalm 711 with me. Psalm 711. Stop and get a Slurpee on the way. Psalm 711. As hot as it is, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? All right, Psalm 711, just one snippet of a a larger psalm that comments on the um, justice of the Lord. Um, It starts off with, save me from all those who persecute me. Verse 1 talks about the arise, O Lord, in your anger. 
He's asking for God to be angry. Uh, David wants God to rise up in righteous anger. Lift up yourself because of the rage of my enemies. Rise up for me to the judgment you have commanded. So he's calling upon God to rise up and judge the peoples. Verse 8, judge me as well. Um, And then verse 11, this idea of justice and anger go hand in hand. God is a just judge, verse 11 says, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Um, God is angry. Uh, The supplied idea there is is with the wicked every day um, because of his holiness and righteousness and because the wicked never cease. So every day God's righteous anger is poured out. Romans 1 teaches that as well. Um, the wrath of God is, is poured out on those who, up, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And so this is a part of God's righteous character. God can be angry and not sin. God can be furious and not sin. But we're not made like that. We're not designed to be like that. We're not meant to hold in anger, to let it fume within us. So really, we, there's two ways we can deal with anger. And you may probably be one of these. Generally, people tend to fit in one of these two groups. There's those who tend to vent their anger or blow up. You're you're the volcano. Um, You don't necessarily take time to think about it, but you might be instantly angry when something happens uh, that you don't approve of. How do you know if you might be a venter or a volcano type of anger? Well, if you tend to get very frustrated or irritated, um, fairly quickly. Um, um, you might describe yourself as someone, I just tell it like it is. That's generally code words for you probably say too much and maybe you let your anger get away with you. Or you might say, I'm just being open and honest with people. You know, that's what I'm going to be. I'm just going to tell them like it is. I've lived my life long enough. I'm just going to be right up front with people from now on. Uh, generally, that might be an indication you might have an explosive type of anger. The other kind of anger is more like uh, internalizing it. You clam up. This is the person who doesn't immediately respond with an angry response, but he holds it in, and he doesn't give it to God necessarily. He doesn't uh, cover, it with, cover it with grace or love, but it simmers. It simmers. It cooks. Um, this is the person, if you're an internalizer, you tend to justify not dealing with the problem by saying, I just don't want to hurt that person's feelings by confronting that person. Um, or saying things like, I just need to learn to live with this. I I could just live with this. Um, Or maybe justifying not confronting them by saying, they won't listen to me anyway. I've tried before. It never works. That's the person who tends to be clam up. Got the blow up and the clam up. Maybe there's a little bit of fine line between both of those. But both of those tend to result in damage to myself and or collateral damage to the people around me when this person just goes off and, wow, you better watch out if you're in the room with this person because you might be getting hit with some of that shrapnel. Anger is an emotion. Anger, like other emotions, you can't predict when it's going to come. I mean, generally speaking, you really don't know when you're going to be angry next. Hopefully you're not planning it out. But it just happens. Somebody cuts you off. Somebody says something you don't like. Somebody you know, tells you an opinion that you are just – it just gets you crazy – and there, all of a sudden, now you're dealing with an angry response. Um, 
There's some ways people have tried to express their anger, and some of them, I think, are not very healthy. One, and I say this with some qualifications, is venting your anger. Now, just venting your anger without any plan to resolve it or solve it or fix it, to me, I don't see that that does a lot of good. Now, if it's your spouse and they say, honey, how was your day? It was terrible. Well, tell me what happened. We got that. We understand that kind of – you're venting to someone you can trust. He, we, you know that person can't fix it anyway, but you just have to tell somebody. Or uh, you can tell it to Jesus on the way home and maybe save your, your spouse all the pain <laughs> and frustration. But Psalm 29.11 says, The fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. So venting can go along with this idea of just explosive anger, and it can sometimes do more damage than help. If you're talking with your pastor or other counselor or someone at school or at work that's paid to listen to these kinds of things, that's a different thing. But just venting uh, can tend to lead into complaining and griping and murmuring and disputing and he said, they said, and uh, trying to side up who's on whose side, and it tends to go in a bad direction. So I recommend, personally, that you not give in to just venting your anger unless, like I mentioned, it's to someone that uh, you have, they've given you permission to do that, and um, you just need to help get it off your chest. Uh, secondly, I think people can have their anger turned inwards. Um, they just maybe make themselves a martyr. And hopefully, Jesus, you're watching how I'm responding because I didn't lash back at him. But you're not really covering it with love. You're not really giving them grace. Now you're avoiding that person. Now you're thinking bad thoughts about that person, maybe even thoughts of harming that person. And your anger is turned inward, and it's like putting the, the gasoline in your styrofoam cup. Eventually, there's going to start to be some deterioration. Eventually, your body and your soul and your spirit will realize, I can't, we can't live like this. This has to be fixed. This has to be, I've got to be released from this anger or else it will turn to awful things like bitterness and unforgiveness, the exact opposite of what Christ wants us to be. Sometimes we can turn our anger to a substitute. hope that's not your mate, your partner uh, at home. I uh, hope it's uh, not someone at work that you take it out on. You make someone the scapegoat of your anger. You take it upon, take it out on the person that is least likely to respond with force. That's what we tend to do. Um, we put take our anger out on someone who know we know they can't hurt us, but we lash out at them. Maybe it's an inferior at work. Maybe it's an, a new employee, the person, new person on the job. You know they can't do anything about it, but you're going to let them have it. You wouldn't do that to the boss because he could fire you. You may not do it with uh, some other superior on the job because uh, there could be some consequences, but you take it out on somebody who may not be able to respond in any defensive way. Look at uh, Let's go back to Ephesians. It's, and I think these are related to anger. It talks about corruption of, of our speech. And this goes along with this idea of anger directing at somebody else. You ever have that? Somebody just lashes out at you and say, what did I, I have nothing to do with this. Why is this person angry at me? I didn't do anything about it. I didn't, I didn't say anything. Why are they lashing out at me? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Corrupt means dying, decaying. Decomposing, it's you know smelly, ugly, disgusting. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So, the idea of letting my anger cause me to lash out at people who have nothing to do with my problem and cannot in any way resolve it 
would fall into the idea of perhaps corrupt communication. It's just dragging them into uh, the mire that I'm wallowing in, and it's not resolving any of the problems. And then I think denial may be more common than we would care to admit, denying because uh, we, we want to be thought as spiritual. We want to thought, we know we're good Christians. We don't get angry. I never get angry. You ever heard people say that? I never get angry. I don't get angry. What they probably mean is I get even. <laughs> I don't get angry. I just get even. Um, but we don't want to deny that the anger is there. Confess it. Admit it. Get some help. Pray. Look at the scriptures. Talk to a Christian friend who can give you some advice on how to deal the right way with that anger. Uh, there's a lot of verses that talk about the results of sinful anger. We won't take the time to look them all up. A lot of these are in Proverbs. Uh, when we don't deal with anger properly, Proverbs 6.34 says it can lead to rage and revenge. Proverbs 14.17 says it can lead to foolish actions. Foolish actions. Slashing someone's tires out of anger would not be a very good thing, would it? That's very foolish. You're going to get in big trouble for that one. Proverbs 14.29 says it can lead to um, Mistakes. Mistakes because you're not thinking clearly. You're not taking the time to think about it. Proverbs fifteen eighteen it can cause a, dis- a stirring up of dissension in others. My anger is contagious. It's infectious. And now all of a sudden, people who know nothing about the situation or that person over there that made me angry, now they're all mad at him. He didn't do anything to them. But they're mad at him just like I'm mad at him. And I've spread that. Proverbs 16, 14, it can make you hard to live with. Hard to live with an angry person. Uh, Proverbs 19, 19, it can lead to more anger. Uh, the, hot, um, the hot-tempered man uh, will pay a penalty, but you'll have to do it over and over again because you know, you know, he just keeps on going, gets worse and worse. And in Proverbs 22, 24, it can lead to a poor, uh, a degradation of relationships. Um, Avoid the angry, short-tempered person. Angry. However, that's the bad news. The good news is if we do handle um, anger biblically, some great things can happen. James 3.18 says we can have a harvest of righteousness if we deal um, in peace. If we respond to things that cause us anger in peace, it can lead to a harvest of righteousness. And Proverbs 12, 18, a tongue, the tongue of the wise can bring healing, healing, where we want to slash and cut because of our anger. Uh, a biblical response can actually bring healing without bringing more collateral damage. Proverbs 19, 11, it can lead to, a, to more patience. When we respond to our anger in a biblical way, it can lead us to be more patient. And uh, 1 Peter 4, 18, <clears throat> love covers a multitude of Sins, yes. A loving response <clears throat> rather than a vengeful anger response can lead uh, to great peace and can cover a multitude of sins. It doesn't mean we become mediators like Jesus. It just means that when we respond in love, the things that maybe we thought were going to really eat at us, they really, don't, they really generally don't cause us to be angry because we respond the way Christ responds to us. All right, some of the worst ways to deal with anger are to... Well, let me put it this way. The best way to start dealing with anger is to identify the sinful excuses we make about dealing with the problem. One is, they won't listen. How many times have I heard that? They won't listen. They won't listen. What should you say to somebody who says, they won't listen? Huh? 
I, quit talking. Maybe, okay, that, okay, that could help. Yeah, just don't, yeah, you, maybe just say, look, if, if that's how they're going to be, then, you know, we'll I'll continue praying for that person, but maybe I'm going to limit my contact. Absolutely. Um, what if it's someone you can't avoid? Family member, church member, community member. My advice would be, try it anyway. Maybe the response last time will be tempered this time. Maybe last time you didn't bathe it in prayer. Maybe you came across too harshly that last time, and they didn't respond because you were kind of in their face in the confrontation. Um, listen to advice and accept instruction, Proverbs 19.20 tells us. Um, they only care about themselves. They don't care about what I think. Maybe, but you'll never know unless you try. Try to talk with them. I can just learn to live with it. Well, God does say you can, you can do all things, but I'm not sure he wants you to live with anger. He wants you to live obediently and deal with an offense. Matthew 18, go to the brother alone. Tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have won your brother over. The word won is, by, is like winning a treasure. Maybe we could say it's kind of like winning the lottery. It's this incredible treasure that's just been gifted to you. You've won your brother back as a, as a prize, a, a precious possession. You've won him back because you took the time to confront in love. I can't handle all the pressure of dealing with this. I just want it to go away, so I'm just going to avoid it, not going to take care of it, and I'm resigning myself to just dealing with anger indefinitely. But God's word says he won't give you more than you can bear, and he always provides a way of escape, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. <clears throat> the way to deal with anger is to confront it in a biblical way. Sin, uh, with, uh, be angry, but do not sin. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. The principle there from Ephesians 4 is to deal with it as quickly as possible. doesn't mean you go right to them and, and you know, cause a commotion. Uh, it's not the idea, but that as soon as the opportunity makes itself available, get that done right away. Um, it doesn't mean the husbands and wives who have a fight after sundown don't have to deal with it till the next evening. Uh, well, we can go to bed tonight and be angry. It, it means take care of it right away. You don't want to let that simmer. You don't want to let it cook. Um, take care of it as soon as you can. When you do go to confront someone in, about a problem and it has caused you some anger, take some time to pray. Take some time to seek the Lord's advice. Ask him to make you humble. Ask him to help you to be meek and patient and to be more of a listener when the confrontation takes place so you can learn what may really have happened and maybe that you have misunderstood what was said or done. But above all, based upon Colossians 3, be forgiving. Be forgiving. And in Ephesians 4, 31, at the end of this very chapter, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. If you can accept the forgiveness from your Heavenly Father for the trespasses you've committed against him, God says, do the same thing with those around you. Love and forgive. Be willing to say, I forgive you. I loose you from this thing, and I value our relationship. Well, to rightly resolve anger, just one final wrap-up. Face it honestly. I'm angry. I need to deal with this. Take some time. Calm it down. Knock it down a couple notches. Pray. Maybe get some advice from someone that's not going to go gossiping about the whole matter. And then trust God to help you resolve it in a biblical way. But don't say, you made me angry. If I'm angry, it's my anger. It's my anger. It's your anger. 
I can't make you angry. I can do something that might cause you to be angry about it, but I can't make you angry any more than I can make you fearful or any other of the emotions. It's your anger. It's my anger. Don't blame someone else for your anger. All right? Own it. Own it. Take responsibility for it and determine to resolve it God's way. Um, determine to catch it at the kindling point. Much easier to put out a fire if it's not too enraged in flame. Take care of it at the kindling point. James said, my brothers, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Take it slow. Knock it down a couple notches. Let's think this through. Let's make sure we have all the facts. And then let's progress carefully and cautiously, ready to forgive, as I understand what the truth is. And above all, of course, love one another as Christ loved us. So the questions for anger is, what do I really want? And why do I feel like I'm not getting that? And maybe that thing that I wanted that's caused me anger is something that I really shouldn't have had anyway. Maybe it's a prideful thing. Maybe it's an ambitious thing. Maybe it's a selfish thing. And I can't have it. And so I'm angry, crying like a little two-year-old on the floor, throwing a tantrum. Maybe God doesn't want me to have that. So my anger is not righteous. It's sinful anger. Or the other question is, what am I afraid of? Why am I so angry? What am I afraid of losing? What am I afraid of missing? What am I afraid of? What piece of the pie do I think I'm not going to get because of whatever happened? And to think that through and decide and determine in your heart, I'm not going to live in fear. I'm not going to live in fear. You know, I can't live in fear. And you don't, you're not designed to live in fear either. It's like anger. It's, we're not meant to live that way. The Spirit of God is not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Don't be ruled by fear. Well, it's a deadly sin, maybe a little more visible than some of the others we've talked about, but perhaps even more deadly because it can lead to some very painful, hurtful things being said or done that we soon come to recognize, "Ah, I wish I just restrained my anger a little bit longer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the uh, many verses. We just went through them so quickly, but thank you for the many verses that teach us the danger of harboring anger. We're not meant to contain that. Our vessels will crack and break and be destroyed. If we hold this in, it will lead to bitterness. It will lead to uh, distancing people from us and, uh, and ruining relationships and affecting our walk with Christ. Lord, help us to be able to deal with anger in a biblical way, following the models uh, presented to us in Scripture, and especially the model of our own Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to be men and women and young people of Christ who will manage and rule anger in a way that we do not sin. For the glory of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, this time we'll move into our Lord's Supper observance. And um, if there are those who need to slip out at this time, you'd rather not stay for that, you are welcome to just slip out. Um, but I want to read something uh, by a Puritan named Edward Taylor, just kind of to prepare our thoughts. He was uh, born in 1642. And uh, he lived in New England. He became a school teacher in math in, uh, with Puritan sympathies. And uh, after the great ejection in that era, Taylor left England, studied divinity at Harvard, and became uh, a minister at Westfield, Massachusetts. And uh, he was a colleague of Cotton Mather, uh, Increase Mather, Charles Chauncey, and uh, one of my favorite Puritan writers, Richard Baxter. And uh, he had a long conversation with these godly men. And... Uh, One expert uh, historian said this about Edward Taylor. Taylor seems to have been endowed with some of the most 
uh, with most of the qualities usually connoted by the word Puritan. He was learned, grave, severe, stubborn, and stiff-necked. <laughs> he was very, very pious. But his piety was sincere. It was fed by a long, continuous spiritual experience arising from mystical communion with Christ. The reality and depth of his experience is amply witnessed by his poetry. I remember reading many of his poems in college when I took uh, American literature. And um, many of his poems were written on a uh, monthly basis in honor of his church's observance of the Lord's Supper. And um, I want to read one of his poems to you. He wrote many of them, maybe hundreds, because he wrote one every time there was a Lord's Supper Sunday. Um, the spelling, if you want to get a copy of this, it's got all the crazy spellings of that era in the 1600s. But this, I thought, went along well with um, Brother Vic's song this morning, The Love of God. And um, here, um, Edward Taylor comments on the love of God. What love is this of thine that cannot be in thine infinity, O Lord, confined? Unless it in thy very person see infinity and finity conjoined. What hath thy Godhead as not satisfied, married our manhood, making it its bride. O matchless love, filling heaven to the brim, or running it, or running o'er beside this world, nay overflowing hell, wherein for thine elect there rose a mighty tide, that there our veins might through thy our veins, V E A N S, that there our veins might through thy person bleed to quench those flames that else would on us feed. Oh, that thy love might overflow my heart, to fire the same with love. For love I would, but oh, my strengthened breast, my lifeless spark, my fireless flame, what chilly love and cold, in small measure, in manner chilly see. Lord, blow the coal, thy love and flame in me. I like how he compares his cold empty love to the passionate flame of heaven's love for us and an appropriate prayer as we celebrate the Lord's Supper to pray for God to inflame that same kind of love if not to the degree at least in type that Christ has for us that we would love as he loves